Welcome to Working Dog Radio, broadcasting the bite. You guys know by now that we do a bunch of commercials in the beginning, in the middle of these episodes. Um, There's two things here. One, patreon.com, Working Dog Radio. We put the episodes up without commercials. How about that? But here's the thing, guys. I know you people. I know what you're doing. You're skimming forward and you're fast forwarding through the commercials. But I'm telling you, you want to listen to these and you want to listen to the ones in the middle of the episode because we put new discount codes. We put new job opportunities, new training opportunities, new gear, new equipment, new sponsors, all kinds of new cool stuff in there. You don't want to skip it because you don't want to miss it, especially the discount codes. So make sure you guys are paying attention. And having said that, we're going to kick it off right now with one of my favorites, right? Uh, RayAllen.com. We've had a great relationship with Ray Allen for a long time. They want you to know that they've heard you loud and clear, and they have revamped their customer service, faster response times, easier to get a hold of them, faster shipping, faster order uh, fulfillment. Um, any kind of issues they had, they ironed it out. RayAllen.com for everything dog related, not just working dogs. Working dog, pet, anything you need. I just bought about 300 bucks worth of stuff the other day. Mixture of pets and police dogs in one click. I loved it. RayAllen.com. Uh, we got hits coming up. Um, it's going to be in August this year. It's going to be at the McCormick Place in Chicago. Um, it moves around. So, you know, one of the things they're really good about is it's not in the same location every year. So every four years, it's probably in a different area or it's in a different area of the country. And they make it super obvious about um, rotating all of their uh, instructors. Too. So if you come last time they were, say, in Dallas, like four years ago, when they go back to that area, you're not going to see the same people over and over again. When we were there last year, there was like 1,200 people, and they're talking about having 13 to 1,500, and we've got 100 vendors in the vendor hall this year. They're getting ready to have a price increase. And I know you people, and I mean you people as handlers, you guys wait for the last fucking second to do everything. And I know it's not your money, but the hotel fills up quick. Then you got to walk everywhere in Chicago, which is probably going to suck because it's going to be super hot. So... Get your tickets booked. It's going to be August 13th through the 16th this year at McCormick Place in Chicago. Go to hitsk9, letter k number 9.net. Get signed up. Look at the class schedule. Plan on where you're going to go. And, uh, yeah, submit all of your forms to all of your admins so you can get it paid for. And uh, you'll see us there. We're going to be doing live recordings and come by the booth, get a beer, and uh, have a challenge going. we got some custom challenge coins we're making. So, um we're Which, not uh, we're not giving them beer though, Ted. They have no, to no, no. Yeah, beer. no, yeah. That's yeah. Get a beer was, and bring it with you. If that was if that was not obvious, I guess that's my bad. All right. So uh, one of the booths that's also going to be at hits probably right across from us. If uh, if it's anything like last year's, our friends at Dogtra. Um, I love Dogtra. Dogtra.com. Great company. Um, you guys have heard of us. You know they're especially you guys, you uh, policemen, law enforcement handlers. They're um, Remote is so set up for you guys to have on your gear. There's tons of different uh, Molly gear you can get for Dogtra uh, remotes. The 1900S is the best collar I have used. I love that thing. Their ball popper is all revamped. Um, They figured out anything with a battery should be rechargeable. The ball popper is rechargeable. It's kicking ass. Dogtra.com. They have a discount code, WDR10, for 10% off of any order over $200. Dogtra.com. 
So this next one is somebody that we, it's new to the podcast uh, or they just signed up. So I just mentioned challenge coins. Now, everybody knows that everybody loves dogs and everybody listening, whether you're search and rescue, whether you're FEMA, whether you're, uh, you know, sheriff's office, whatever, everybody in the public loves seeing dogs. And the one thing that I always see is people handing out challenge coins or handing out um, the little like playing cards with the dog's information and all that stuff on it. So one of the new sponsors for the podcast is Combat Bet, which is spelled B-E-T at the end, like you're betting. Uh, They have the little challenge coins that are shaped like poker chips. And ironically enough, they're pretty inexpensive for um, like a department to have for a canine unit. You can have them on their little, you can have the dog's picture on one side, you can have the sheriff's office shield on the other side, whatever you want to do. You can even print on the collar of it. And they do two different versions. They got the the ceramic poker chip ones, and they've also do a couple of metal ones. Um, So depending on how much you want to spend or whatever else, you can get a variety of different things, and they can print pictures on. So you can get the picture of the dog and the handler on there, hand them out to kids when you go do your school demos, and you guys look like heroes, which is freaking awesome. So they're doing a discount code for everybody. So if you go to combatbet.com, and you'll get a discount of 10% off of your total order price, which isn't a whole lot to begin with. So it's Working Dog Radio spelled out. Head over there, hit them up, tell them we sent you. Use a discount code, hand out coins to kids. That's all you got to do. That's it. Yeah, I think our first sponsor that we ever got when we got on the podcast is Arno at ALM. Um, yeah. I love ALM. The dude, the dude has been so good to us, so good to everybody. Um, I'm telling you right now, man, you want tugs, and I mean, we go through tugs a lot. Yeah, I give them out to all the handlers when they come through, and I don't use anyone else but Arno at ALM. Uh, his tugs are the best, period. They hold up. They're great. The dogs love them. Everything's great. And I've I've done a ton of social media stuff about his hidden sleeve. His hidden sleeve is so legit. It is yeah. so good. It's the easiest, the easiest one to put on and take off. It is so functional. Like I use it, you know, under stuff as a hidden sleeve, but I use it as a, just as a regular sleeve sometimes. Um, it, you do feel it. It does suck. I'm not going to lie to you. But it is a... <laughs> Perfect sleeve for what we like to do. He has a discount code WD Radio for ten percent off. ALMK9Equipment.com. Hit him up. Yep. One of the other ones that we uh, super like are the guys at USA Canine. So it's no secret that Eric and I have some dogs that bite hard <laughs> at our kennels yep. and True. tear shit up all the time. Uh, my personal dog loves to chew through Kongs, even the black ones. So the guys at USA Canine. They tend to mm-hmm. last a lot longer. So I use Dutch boxes and I use poppers at the kennel. Uh, we've gotten some that have gone, what, like six months now on ropes with dogs with I don't know how many dogs gone through on uh, these toys. And they're still going very strong. So head over to USA-K9, letter K, number nine. Use the discount code K9, letter K number nine pro, get a discount. They got bombs, they got grenades, they got actual ball-shaped ones. They have a new one too, right? It looked like a little rocket or something. So head over, hit them up, get some toys. Dogs love it. They do. You guys remember our episode with Cameron Ford? Uh, Cameron Ford's worked all over the United States. Um, he's done all time, all kinds of multi-purpose canine training. Detection is his thing. It is what he does the most as what his scientific approach yep. uh, has proven like 
very effective, the things he does. Well, Cameron moved to Las Vegas to join the folks over at Silver State Canine. Um, they offer a ton of stuff. They have a class coming up. you got to get on this quick, though, guys. Uh, July 29th to August 9th. 29th to August 9th. It's a... Um, going to be a handler and trainer's course you got to get on it and they're going to rerun it september 9th through the 20th this is not a cakewalk but i'm telling you you will learn a scientific method for this um it's it's good stuff man check them out silverstatek9.com they um just so say you can't go to vegas can't make it to vegas maybe you don't have enough comp time you got you don't have enough vacation time they won't let you travel you get a hold of uh the folks at silver state and they will send cameron to you and they'll do a 40-hour detection dog seminar for you. You can get your all your unit, get all your training group. He'll come to you. SilverStateK9.com. Check them out. So speaking of traveling, October 30th through November 2nd of this year, our friends down at Southern Coast Canine, New Smyrna Beach, are going to be hosting the Hard Dog Fast Dog Competition. It's the Police Motorcycle and Canine Skills Challenge hosted by our friends at Southern Coast, Peggy and Bill and Danny. So uh, I'm actually going to be down there announcing the uh, Hard Dog Fast Dog competition. Now, it's limited to the first 30 canine teams uh, and the first 30 detection teams. And they're also doing a competition the 4th through the 7th, which they do every year, which is a huge odor uh, seminar and detection seminar and competition. And at the end of the three days, you actually certify with NNDDA, but there's going to be 125 teams in attendance, so it should be a good time. Be sure to head over to Southern Coast Canine Hit them up, look at it, and come down and see me, and I'm sure I'll be heckling whoever's going to be decoying because you, you're you going to get smashed. I don't know what to tell you. Get, be on your A game. Yeah. Yeah. All right. It is a Working Dog Radio broadcasting the bite. I am Ted Summers in a steamy Tulsa, Oklahoma, because it's summertime and it's humid. Uh, with me, as always, is Eric from uh, – you're not actually in Canton right now. You're in what, Mohawk Lake? You're at the lake, right? Yeah, my, at my house, Lake You're Mohawk. at the lake. You're going to go on the boat later. As soon as we're done with this, I can see it's... Uh, I was out most of the day. Um, I can see the sun is starting to come down. It is 8.40 on my side, and the sun's coming down, and my wife and I are going to go out for a little cruise Awesome. Uh, here when we're done. Uh, I'm going to make steaks, so there's that. Good. And I'm going to let the shitheads out in the backyard and run around and bark at people. So um, that ought to be fun. But uh, other than that, I haven't done much. Um, you know, we just got back from West Virginia at the Moundsville State Penitentiary, which was probably the creepiest place I have ever been. Um, and it was an insane location to train in. Uh, those dudes that hosted us uh, were super professional, great handlers, great guys. And, um, they literally like rolled out the red carpet for us. We had the entire run of the facility, which we use like maybe <laughs> not even a 10th of, I mean, it was fucking crazy. The amount of stuff we can do. They do a mock, tr uh, riot there every year that their special operations DOC guys do, uh, that kind of run. And, um, if you're a canine handler, you ought to hit them up and see if you can go and do part of the integration portion of it. Cause it's a, it's a pretty crazy facility, man. I mean, it ran, it had people there uh, up until what? Did they say like 94? Clinton was in office, so like 94. Yeah. Um, now, obviously, there's nobody there's there except except ghosts. Pretty cool artwork on the walls and shit. <laughs> the walls of the cells. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's all original. <laughs> it might be written in poop. Who knows? So, <laughs> mm. uh, anything else? Just, you know, I got um, a handler school going on. They, they'll... Yeah. 
certified next Friday. Um, I have a bomb dog in my kennel that um, I'm actually gonna start putting videos of up of her. She's available for sale now, and um, pet dogs still doing that. Uh, I got probably have a couple dogs coming in from Europe. I did sell a dog at that um, Moundsville uh, seminar, and I'm pretty excited. I got some guys coming from out of town. Yeah, I saw that bite work next week. So that's pretty cool. Looking, you know, looking forward to that. Just uh, it got real hot all of a sudden over here. So <laughs> I, I'm not complaining. I, I, I don't complain about heat. Trust me. But I just two or three times last week after work, I got home, walked to the end of my yard and jumped in the water in my clothes. Yeah, it was pretty rough. Uh, yeah, I'm not going to lie tonight uh so this is the last episode of the uh ladies of canine series we did this last year and it was a huge success um people from australia south africa uk um eastern europe been broken english um texted us and emailed us and whatever about how you know their daughters were listening to it or they were in law enforcement and they listened to it and it was a huge motivation and we didn't really have that intention um other than to just kind of showcase the you know a small portion of a small portion of law enforcement military, but uh, seeing as it inspired a bunch of people and uh, up and coming handlers, we decided to do it again and we did six instead of three. So the last tonight is a handler with a fairly extensive resume, uh, Marine Corps, uh, private contracting, uh, and a very good all around trainer herself on the sports side. Also, um, Ariel Dunas, how are you? I'm doing well. How are you guys? I'm we- trying to uh, deal with the heat here as well. It's hotter in Virginia than it is in Florida, which I think is. <laughs> I want my money back. <laughs> Can I get a refund? Yeah, no kidding. Uh, why don't you tell us a little bit about your background, how you got into canine, you know, going through the military and then the contracting side, training side. You work for uh, you work for Mike and for Jerry at Tar Heel and at uh, Logan Haas. So kind of talk a little bit about that and we'll go from there. My mom was a trainer or still is a trainer. So growing up, I was kind of indoctrinated whether I liked it or not. I joined the military because I wanted to do something other than work with animals. And then <laughs> I saw that, <laughs> yeah. And then as soon as I saw that there was um, canine handler positions, I said, okay, that's what I'm gonna do. Um, so I managed to get myself into canine in the Marine Corps. I did one enlistment as a dual-purpose bomb dog handler with 2nd MP Battalion, which doesn't exist anymore, but we were a a fully deployable battalion. We didn't have any garrison duties, so I didn't actually have to really work the road. I just, we prepped for deployment, then deployed. Um, So I was the handler, and then I was the trainer for our section there. When I got back from there, I worked for Jerry at Tar Heel, and learned all about the police dog business and um, green dog selections, training, sales, handlers courses. Um, spent a couple years there and then came up to Virginia to work at Quantico on a contract um, for uh, the requirements section of the Combat Development Command. So I was working as a civilian subject matter expert uh, advising the officers at that command on how to best employ working dogs uh, for the Operation Iraqi Freedom, Operation Enduring Freedom um, theaters. Uh, I did that for about a year, and then I got on a contract to go overseas with my cadaver dog. Uh, that was also my PSA dog. Um, 
and what was his name blitz right yeah blitzen yeah yes my female malinois so i went over there uh for about a year as well um doing cadaver detection i was working i was on a contract for the army as a private contractor but we supported any units that wanted to uh call us out and utilize our capabilities um i came back from that contract and I worked as a program manager for a company that wanted to essentially do a proof of concept, uh, train dogs that were modeled after the Marine Corps IED detection dogs. They were off-leash explosive detection dogs that were labs that were hunt trained uh, to do directionals and then um, trained to detect explosives at a distance. Um, I did that for a little over a year uh, until we finished uh, what the program set out to do. Um, then I worked another contract helping to write a manual uh, to provide to the Army Infantry so they knew essentially the capabilities and requirements for working dogs if they wanted to uh, request a military working dog so they would know what type to request and what they needed to support the team and how to best employ the team. So I did that for a while. Long, you know, It was a limited contract just until we had this manual written and then kind of simultaneously I was working on that and then Mike and I um, started working together you know I went there and I learned how to uh, what his selection process was for green dogs and did a lot of puppy raising in addition to developing a detection training protocol and doing a lot of operant conditioning stuff with the puppies there in addition to helping him with uh, the green dogs, the uh, mostly you know prepping them for sales and then um, helping to show them to the clients that would come in. So I was there for about two years. Um, then I came back to Virginia, took a break uh, from really hardcore canine work. I you know I was doing a few seminars here and there, training my own dogs doing working with some private clients but I focused on I wanted to finish my bachelor's degree so and I don't want to waste my GI bill you know I went in the military and I earned it so I figured mm-hmm. um might as well put that to use so I studied um biology and neuroscience and took a lot of behavior classes as well because I thought you know the more I can understand both sides of animal training the better you know practical on the academic theoretical side I graduated last May, then did, you know, the end of last year, did a few more seminars, and then um, the beginning of this year, I started a pet dog training business, so I've been focusing on trying to get that going, in addition to um, keeping up with some of the working dog stuff, more working with um, private clients and seminars here and there. That's, <laughs> that's my basic overview of what I've done. Take a breath. That was one long. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Regardless of male or female, that's quite the uh, working dog uh, <laughs> resume. I mean, you've worked with fucking Subtle and you work with Bradshaw. You've worked with some of the command guys as SME. So, I mean, that's a uh, not <laughs> not an un. Uh, interesting way to start. So, when you got when you went to the Marines, what did you intend to do? besides not well, work so, dogs. <laughs> so when I went, I was actually in college studying animal science and I said, I don't want to work with animals. So I went and saw some recruiters and 
I decided I wanted to do signals intelligence and I wanna, wanted to decipher codes. And I went into my recruiter and they said, well, there's no opening. So you can be an MP. And I think there was maybe admin and something else that was of no interest to me. Um, I also said I wanted to do infantry and they're like, you can't do infantry. And I said artillery and they're like, we can't do artillery either. So it's like, okay, MP sounds good. And then I was looking through the little brochure and I saw you have a canine handler. So I thought, well, that, you know, <laughs> tried to get away like from it. Here I am. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, um, but my recruiter made it seem like being a canine handler was a piece of cake. You know, you just enlist and they send you right to canine school, which was not the case. You, you know, a lot of cards had to fall in the right place and it also required, um, you to be kind of at the top of everything you did. But a lot of it was just luck. You know, my name being in the right pool. Yeah, we interviewed somebody else in this series, and she kind of said the same thing. And they're like, "Oh yeah, it's fucking canine. Like, how hard can it be?" And it is not. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and she was in the Air Force, and she was like, "Oh, I went to the Air Force because I saw how they lived, and then I got assigned to the Army for seven deployments." I was like, "Oh, <laughs> <laughs> how'd that turn out?" And she was like, "Oh, yeah. well, it's like being in the fucking Army." <laughs> right. I mean, so, at least I went in fully aware that you know, I'm gonna. You know, not be living a life of luxury, but I like a challenge. <laughs> and the Marine Corps recruiter was the only one that said, well, this isn't for everyone and you probably wouldn't make it through boot camp anyway. And I said, well, sign me up. They knew how to get you hooked. Uh, so when you went in and you went to canine school, um, you had a dual purpose bomb dog, correct? Okay. So talk about that process with the Marines. Did you go to Lackland? Was it self-contained? Like, what was the deal? Um, we went to Lackland um, with and our classes were integrated with um, handlers from all the different services. Um, The thing about, at least when I was in, um, the Marine Corps handlers went straight from MP school to canine school. The other services were coming from the fleet. So most of them were older and more experienced and we were kind of the, the boots that everyone picked on because we, you know, we just graduated boot camp at MP school and we're learning the ropes. But, you know, everything was integrated. Um, if I remember correctly, the block one was obedience and aggression, you know, learning all the, the bite work stuff. And then block two was detection. I remember, you know, we were each assigned a dog, but I remember handling a couple different dogs. So I think, you know, just depending on luck and maybe, you know, if they liked you, they would let you get your hands on more dogs. But it was about three months, and I really enjoyed it. I mean, I thought it was a great time Um, and a little bit more relaxed than boot camp and MP school. Um, We had had a little bit more (laughs) freedom. I would hope. Yeah. Plus, you you can play with dogs. I mean. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) When you went to deploy. I was actually in Kuwait because we – actually, when I was in MP school – was when the World Trade Center was attacked. So I remember we were in the emergency vehicle operators course and they they stopped everything and brought us all into a classroom. So um, things are pretty early on. Um, So they sent us into Kuwait to kind of set up a like a camp in the middle of the desert that basically helps process people into Iraq and just provide security while we were getting set up. I mean, we were pretty close to the border, but kind of in the middle of the desert with a bunch of dead camels and goats around us is, uh, is about what I could tell you. Oh, gross. 
while you were a handler, was there any notable finds or anything while you were in Kuwait? No, honestly, it was a lot of redundant, monotonous work, just searching vehicles. I mean, you know, we had a couple, someone coming through with shotgun shells in, in the vehicle. Um, we actually had the dogs, they were bringing fertilizer in, ammonium nitrate, um, uh. and we had some, some issues with that, but nothing significant, but just a lot of monotonous standing on a gate in desert temperatures for 8 to 12 hours. It wasn't really terribly exciting. It's like standing in an oven. Um. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so you can... I thought I was going to do exciting, you know, war fighter stuff, and I'm no. you know, searching vehicles with bomb dogs. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, so you come back to the U S, uh, and you get out and you go work for Bradshaw and Siggins, uh, Tar Heel and then become an SME for the combat development command, uh, after that. So talk a little bit about transitioning out of the military into law enforcement because they ain't the same. No. Um, and I realized I thought I knew a fair amount and there was so much more to learn. Um, you know, I don't know where the military is at now as far as training methods, but when I was in, a lot of it was very archaic, you know, took chains and a lot of ham. I felt like more handler dependent type detection training. You know, we tell the dog where to put their nose. We, you know, have the Kong in our hand. And when I worked, when I went to work for Jerry, um, you know, I just, really learned a whole new way to, to do things. And, and I also saw what better dogs looked like. Um, you know, the military isn't really known, or at least then wasn't known for having super strong, con- consistently strong, drivey dogs. You know, some were good, some were not so good. So when I went to Tar Heel and learned about green dog selection and you know, training with drive and how to use prong collars and e-collars properly. Um, it was really eye-opening, and it really, I think that kind of spurred the desire to learn as much as I can and, you know, study and learn different techniques. Um, so, you know, it was really kind of the catalyst for this is something that I'm... I knew I was passionate about it as a canine handler, but I didn't know, I didn't know what I didn't know. Um, right. And then once I started learning, wow, there's so much more out there. There's so many different techniques and, you know, there's dogs with insane amounts of drive and that really kind of got the ball rolling. Right. What was the so, first thing that you saw at Tar Heel where you're like, fuck, I'm not in Kansas anymore. <laughs> like, this is actually what it, I'm sure it was doing. Siggins doing something ridiculous. Well, actually, he wasn't working there at the time. Um, oh. I didn't meet him. At, I didn't meet him until I was there for probably a year. And yeah, he, I was like, "Who is this guy? He's crazy." Yes, um, no, he, yeah, and giant. <laughs> yeah, he's a big motherfucker. Um, that's for sure. <laughs> he doesn't scare me though. Um, <laughs> I, you know, this is going to sound really rudimentary, but teaching obedience with rewards. I mean, I you know, my mom was a trainer. I grew up watching her do reward-based training. And then I got to the military and at canine school, I remember arguing with my instructors and saying, why are we trying to force these dogs to do everything? Why don't we use treats? And I would try and sneak in treats and they would yell at me. And 
but I'd be like, but look, this is, makes it so much easier. And they said, that's not how you train working dogs. And then I get to Tar Heel, and it's like we use food to teach them obedience, and we use yeah. you know, jute, jute rolls and balls, and we make the dogs want to do the obedience. And I said, well, I, that, I mean, that makes sense to me. And, you know, I think that just kind of showed me that the philosophy that was spoon-fed to me in the military was not really how it was in the, the police canine world, where people have to they have to rely on selling dogs for their livelihood. So they have to sell yeah. a quality product where you, the military, you have to be good. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I mean, and it sounds ridiculous, but the military, even though the dogs should be out there saving lives, no one's coming in and, and paying them for the dogs. So if they're mediocre, eh, you know, give them to that poor handler and hope and cross your fingers. Hope it all goes well. No, that's a, that's a very, you know, because, you know, Bradshaw and I both have very similar backgrounds. We weren't cops and, you know, we weren't in the military. And yet we're both kind of in this industry. And, you know, if we don't sell dogs, we don't eat. Mm-hmm. And, um, like, you know, Bradshaw's good. Like, I mean, those guys, I mean, Tar Heel's good. They do a good job. And they they produce great dogs. And But they have to be. <laughs> I mean, yeah. like, you can't pencil. And I say this all the time. Uh, you can't, I mean, a lot of dudes pencil whip their resumes, but you know, those guys are good. And I mean, so you transition out of the trainer instructor deal at Tar Heel. Um, and then you do the human remains detection in Afghanistan. Were you a contractor or are you working for the, for the government? I was a contractor, um, okay. but I was on the, my supervisors were all military. So um, you went over there. What role did the human remains detection have for the Iraq and Afghanistan stuff? Cause you were over there from like 2008 to like 2010 or something. Right. So you were over there like uh, quite a, right. Yeah. 2009 to 2010, just about a year. Right. There you go. So, I mean, sorry, to 2008 to 2009. Did I say that? <laughs> just about right. a year. Right. So about a year ish. So you were handling human remains dog and that's where you had Blitzen, correct? Yes. Okay. So, What's the story with the human remains detection over and out? Because that's something a lot of people don't understand, don't know about. We think it's all bombs and biting people. Mm-hmm. Um, and then when they find out that there are people that do narcotic stuff, and then there are electronics dogs over there, especially with the special operations kids, and then mm-hmm. obviously now there's human remains dogs. So what's the deal with the human remains dogs? Uh, well, what they found was there was a need to have dogs that could help recover missing, captured uh, service members, coalition forces, um, and also in mass bombing, be able to help with uh, remains recovery. And that was not a capability that the military had inherently. So they contracted out to, um, at the time it was American Canine out of Florida, that had that contract and it was just a you know three there were three of us um and we were living in iraq but there if there was a request outside of the that theater we we were able to cross over and um assist so that's where you know i was able to go to afghanistan on some searches and there was mass grave searches um, 
and then a lot of searches for missing service members and coalition forces um, and some incidents where if there was an IED explosion and they weren't unable to recover um, all of the remains, they would call the dogs in, um, you know, just because in, in those situations, you know, you're sifting through rubble or, you know, you've got bodies buried underground and having the ability to have a dog expedites the process so you're not out there standing. You know, it's not like we're going out and searching in a field in the U.S. It's, it's somewhere that you right. don't want to be standing around with ground-penetrating radar or, you know, sifting through rubble, you know, any longer than you have to. So the dogs helped make that process a little bit faster. Good. So you guys were pretty successful with you and Blitzen, correct? Yeah. Um, you know, the I'd say a lot of the searches were kind of wild goose chases, but then we did get searches where, you know, we were doing productive work. Um, the nature of it is if they're trying to find someone and there's some incentive for people to come forward with information, a lot of people right. are going to come forward with information that's not always accurate. So, you know, there was a lot of times that we would just be out and about and realize that we probably weren't even in the right area. Um, but then, you know, you have other times where you do get good intel or, you know, you're doing, you know, a mass grave search. Um, you know, something like that is <clears throat> a target rich environment, um, you know, to put it bluntly but um, right yeah i mean you know it's not a pretty job but you know you try and be as pragmatic as possible about it that we're here to to help identify so that people can can go home which is a super important part of the entire operation over there so i mean that's which is why it was interesting that i mean the military doesn't have the capability so they had the contractors come in so did you train blitzen yourself or uh, was he trained at a contractor and then brought in or trained somewhere else and brought in as a contractor or how did that happen? No, I got her as a puppy when I was working for Jerry and I started training her when I was working there. And then once I moved up to Virginia, I uh, started working with some search and rescue teams in the area to continue her training. And I had, I knew about the contract overseas for a while. Right. Um, so when I got her as a puppy, I said, training her in cadaver detection because I want to go do human remains recovery overseas. And I was lucky enough to get on the contract. You were the program manager for ADSI, uh, mm-hmm. training the off-leash IED dogs. Um, and then you were a subject matter expert for the MWD stuff for a defense contractor. And you helped write the book for the infantry, uh, for the army kids, correct? Mm-hmm. Yes. So talk a little bit about that IED off-leash stuff. Um, You know, we've had Pat Nolan on, Mm, and he's kind of the OG for that kind of stuff. I mean, he's the the guy Mm -hmm. for a lot of that stuff. So talk about what you can with some of that off-leash, like, long-distance stuff. Um, So it's funny you mentioned Pat. I had met him in 2007 when I first moved out to Virginia, actually at a Randy Hare seminar. And, um, I got to be pretty good friends with Pat. So I used to, um, train with him. I got my lab from him. And when I got on, when I got hired on with this company, 
their goal was to be able to c- compete for the big IAD detector dog contract. So, um, and then also try to um, show proof of capability to perhaps get um, contracts with, with other organizations. Um, so when I got that job, I immediately called up Pat and I said, Pat, I need, you know, I'm going to use my lab, um, but I need, you know, some other dogs from you because I know he, you know, his work is excellent and um, he knew what I was looking for. So I got um, yeah. three dogs from him and they all had basic handling. Um, you know, they, you could send them away, stop them, send them left, send them right. Um, and then I put the explosive detection on them and it was cool. I mean, I, you know, I hadn't, I had done a little, he actually had my lab while I was overseas with Blitzen. So when I came back, um, he showed me how to train her and how to work with her. And then I also did some distance handling work with Blitzen while I was overseas, um, that he taught me. So it was neat to be able to come back and put it all together and really, you know, get these dogs. I, I just think it's to be able to send them out hundreds of yards and then just watch them work independently, but then also be able to intervene and stop them and direct them to targets. I, to me, it was just very satisfying because it was kind of, you know, working both with the dog's natural abilities, but also combining these different aspects of, of working dog training, you know, gun dog applications and detection dog applications. So I really enjoyed that. And, you know, we got to go do some demos and you know, some interesting places. Um, ultimately, they uh, ran out of funding and realized that they couldn't compete for the contract because the company wasn't service disabled, better owned. Um, but I, I liked, you know, that I feel like that just gave me a very unique experience. Um, and it was my program. So I was able to dictate the, you know, the path of it, um, which, you know, from the training and, and dog management perspective, which I like. So in the uh, October of 2013, I went out California and was working the um, the uh, Navy SEAL West Coast contract and mm-hmm. what we were training for out there was the, the route clearance and all the detection was based off of pressure plate IEDs so from your time in there in like 2009 to 2011 what were you, what were they seeing what were you training for was it still remote detonated stuff or is it more of the pressure plate stuff I, at that time, it was kind of the transition. Um, I think it was when I was at Quantico, we were, when I was a little bit involved with the IED detection dog program, it was remote stuff. And then when I was working as the program manager, um, they started to see that they were wising up to our tactics. So now pressure plate IEDs were becoming more of a threat. Um, but we kind of prepared for both instances, um, being able to mitigate the risk of the dogs detonating themselves on a pressure plate, um, as well as, you know, limiting our use of remote devices if that was um, considered a threat. So it was a little bit of a mixture of both because we didn't really know what where these dogs were going to be employed anyway. I mean, we were even intending um, maybe stateside applications. So it tried to keep it 
diverse while still um, targeted enough on the capability. You come back from that. Uh, and then yeah, and I did. Get... I wrote the that wrote the manual too, but that wasn't terribly exciting. It was a lot. Of <laughs> there are people listening to this, and they're like, "You're the motherfucker that wrote that," and we're gonna get hate <laughs> mail for it now. So <laughs> <laughs> after that, you because go... there's not enough pictures. <laughs> yeah. You should have yeah, put no, more pictures in it. Well, there wasn't really color, many uh, pictures in it. <laughs> it's not we color by numbers. Infantry, so. It's not color by numbers. So. <laughs> Um, after that, you go to West Virginia to work with Subtle uh, at Logan Haas mm-hmm. uh, for the Puppy Raising Development Program, which bef- the interview before this one, we had a huge discussion about green dogs and how important it is raising these dogs uh, correctly. So mm-hmm. talk a little bit about that before we go to commercial. Yeah, so my experience with raising puppies was very limited. You know, I'd been around a few litters but um nothing to the scale that that mike was doing out there so um when i got there he was um you know his focus was green door green dog importing and um breeding working puppies so i said you know i've got all these cool ideas that i want to do with puppies you know some stuff that um pat and i had talked about um some ideas i had of my own um and he said well i've got plenty of litters of puppies so you know basically you're free to do whatever you want with the puppies and you know teach me along the way and um and it, you know and I didn't my background was not in um drive building grip development um so you know it was kind of a, a good um balance of his skills with the puppies and um showing me you know how he starts them as soon as their eyes open and um, doing ENS and, um, you know, conditioning them to respond to certain stimuli that brings them up and drive, um, grip development. And then I was really interested in marker training, free shaping, um, operant conditioning, uh, scent work. So we, you know, we kind of combined all of that and um, you know, I, I feel like the what I learned about raising working puppies there was was invaluable, um, and also just you know being able to see and have my hands on so many puppies, and you know seeing the differences in six week six week six week old puppies from these lines versus from these lines, and you know seeing how. Um, environmental exposure at different ages affects them. Um, so I feel like that really helps kind of round out, you know, I had done so much with adult dogs and green dogs and now I was bringing in the, you know, the puppy aspect, which was awesome because who doesn't love working with Malinois puppies? I don't. Me. <laughs> right. the two of us. Fuck, I hate puppies. God damn it. So when we come Who back. Who says that, though? <laughs> whoa, 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 whoa. Who says I hate puppies? Except I for. Hate puppy. You, you got to be a special person. <laughs> I've heard a lot of people say that, though. A lot of people say they don't like working with puppies. They say, well, give them to me. I'll work with them. No, nah, well, I like working them when they stay at the kennel, just not at my house. How about that? Mm-hmm. Does that send, send all hate messages to Ted underscore. <laughs> yeah. Instagram. No, don't the do puppy that. hater. <laughs> <laughs> so when we come back, we'll talk a little bit more about the, uh, the puppy aspect of it, and we'll go on and do some detection stuff. 
Sounds good. Hey guys, we got a great new sponsor, man. We're super excited about this. I have a box full of challenge coins. I love them. Everywhere we go, I'm always asking people, do you have challenge coins, challenge coin? Um, but I don't have one. Working Dog Radio doesn't have one. Torchlight doesn't have one. HRD doesn't have one. So we are going to get those. We're going to get them made. And we're looking around, trying to figure out who we're going to use, who we're going to get to make these challenge coins. We partnered up with the good people at Combat Bet. That's C-O-M-B-A-T-B-E-T. And they've got several different cool styles to choose from. They got other things too. They got some cards. They got a lot of different cool stuff. They're giving a uh, discount code for us, Working Dog Radio. Um, I can't wait. Um, we're going to get uh, these challenge coins. And I'm telling you, if I give you one, you better have it. If I see you, I'm going to blast that thing out on the bar and you're going to have to buy me a drink. CombatBet.com. Check them out. They have several different styles of coins. Um, we're really super proud to have them on here, man. CombatBet.com. Yeah, it's no secret that uh, Eric and I use a lot of equipment at either up in Ohio, Van Ass, or here at Torchlight. Uh, we've been using Dogtriff for years. Both of us have. Um, even before we even started the podcast, you know, one of my favorite products is a 1900S hands-free. I use it all the time, and I've uh, even got a different collar on it so I can put it on dogs super fast. Uh, there's no messing around with it or whatever else, and I just keep the remote in my pocket, and I have the finger kick on my on my finger or on my wrist and uh, makes it super easy. But dogs have got several products and not just for police dogs. You know, I was doing for hunting dogs. They've got a long history uh, with the hunting dog community, but uh, great products, several things for everybody from pets all the way up to working dogs. And they also have the awesome ball watcher and popper that I use the kennel. Uh, I think I've got four of those things now and um, we've got them in a box. I've got them hidden in cars, all kinds of stuff. But for uh, listeners, anytime you use the discount code WDR10, you get 10% off a single item over 200 bucks. And that's at dogtra.com. Go hit them up, dogtra.com. Hey guys, coming up, it's coming up August, August 13th through the 16th, the HITS conference. HITS is the best conference going. It's the biggest. It's, uh, there's only a couple conferences that we back and we sponsor over here at Working Dog Radio based on who runs it, the type of material, the type of training, the instructors, everything they get, nothing shady happening. HITS, um, I can't say enough about the guys. You've heard them on the podcast, man. They're all legit. They're handlers. Um, they're out there working every day with that dogs, with those dogs, and they're putting on this big, huge conference. They got a uh, price increase coming up, man, so don't mess around. This year, it's in Chicago at McCormick Place. Like It's the size of Canton, Ohio, pretty much, the entire <laughs> venue that they're going to be at. Um, check them out. Hitsk9.net. Don't wait. Yeah, you know, one of the other uh, sponsors that we have that's also uh, nothing shady going on that we're super happy to have on the podcast <laughs> is Ray Allen. Uh, I think Ray Allen made equipment for um, dogs that are on the Ark. They've been around for so long. Uh, their product designer, uh, you know, Matt, is one of our good buddies. Uh, we love that dude to death. Uh, they do a good job there. They've got that new treat pouch that Eric really likes. Uh, keep your fucking hoodies from smelling like hot dogs or, or pill jack. Mm -hmm. um, and then I just ordered a bunch of rubber arms, and we ordered a leg for Eric. Uh, that uh, is good for proofing patrol dogs. And they've got everything, not just for police dogs. They got stuff for working dogs, and they got stuff for, uh, for other working dogs like search and rescue or hunting. And then also just for pets also. They've got leashes and everything for and harnesses just regular collars, everything you need. 
if you're going to go over there, make sure you use the discount code, also Working Dog Radio, spelled out. Uh, the beginning of each letter needs to be, or word needs to be capitalized. You'll get uh, 10% off your first order. And yeah, they have just about everything you need except for the dog and the patrol car. So hit them up and not owned by a uh, somebody that has pled guilty to uh, sex offender crimes. So there's that. You guys have heard me talk and Ted talk about our relationship with Highland Canine. Um, we've done it on social media. We, you've heard it here in the commercials and things. And we do that because we believe in the Pergasons and we believe what they got going on there. Um, they have a school for dog trainers. They got a police dog training school. Um, and, and they started to realize what they were doing was everything was um, basic training for them. And they do have a lot of basic training classes. They take you. Uh, they teach you, say you're a handler, they're training you, and then boom, out you go on the road. But what we see in this business is most guys don't follow up with any kind of advanced courses. So Highland Canine, they're like, you know what, we're going to take care of that. They have started a um, advanced detection, or excuse me, an advanced um, canine courses, like a whole curriculum they're rolling out. Back in April, they started with an advanced detection course. Um, they're going to go into advanced skills for every aspect of police canine training. Uh, be sure to check it out. Look for upcoming classes, tacticalpolicecaninetraining.com. That's the letter K, the number nine, tacticalpolicecaninetraining.com. Harmony, North Carolina. Check them out. So everybody knows that we uh, love the guys at Southern Coast, Bill and Peggy Heiser, and of course Danny. But they've also got a second company called Coast to Coast Canine, which handles uh, detection services. And they are looking for two full-time and one part-time explosive handler. So be sure to hit them up and email Peggy Heiser. So you're going to do P Heiser, H-E-I-S-E-R, at C, the letter 2, C, the letter K, the number 9.com. That's C2CK9.com. Shoot her your resume and apply for the jobs for a full-time explosive handler. There's two of those. And then... Uh, a single part-time handler, uh, explosive handler at c2ckanine.com. Peggy Heiser at c2ckanine.com. Go ahead, I'm up. So I got a uh, bomb dog in my uh, kennel right now. I'm imprinting her on the seven odors that we use over here in Ohio. None of those odors are the HMEs like TATP, um, urea nitrate, and some of the other ones. We um, are afraid of that shit, and I'm not touching it. I'm not messing with it. But I do want my dogs to, to find it. So looking around, you know, my guys go through some training with the FBI like once a year. It's pretty hard to stay proficient on that stuff. And I'm not messing with that stuff for real. So what do we do? True scent. True scent is a, um, it's not a pseudo odor. It's a simulant. It is real odor suspended in silica. Now listen, they have everything. They have all the explosive odors you want. Um, but I specifically look for the, the HME kits. They got several of them. Um, check them out. Uh, it's, it's real explosive odor. Um, it's good stuff, man. We really like them. You heard Ellie, their chemist, on our um, podcast. We made a whole T-shirt based on that podcast. Uh, it's good type of stuff. TrueScentK9.com. Um, when you get there and plug it in, they do give us a discount code, which is WDR, all capitalized, WDR15. That's a WDR15 for 15% off training aids. Get on it. Yep. So working dogs, whether they be police dogs or hunting dogs or search and rescue, whatever, have a fantastic 
talent of managing to hurt themselves in magnificent and magical ways. Um, if I could count the ways that my fucking dogs have managed to hurt themselves, it would fill up an entire podcast episode. Not everything is going to require a vet visit. I'm not suggesting that you don't take the dog to the vet, but stuff that's normal, like hot spots, pad injuries, happy tail, stuff that's just kind of annoying, uh, can turn into serious issues. The guys at Vet Care have produced a, a product called Quick Derm that is absolutely fantastic. Eric actually has a guy that's close to him that runs a fairly large boarding kennel. Uh, that had a dog come in that had hot spots already when he got there, and you know you didn't want to be blamed for hot spots. So uh, he actually ordered some of the stuff and cleared it up in, I mean, a couple of days. I actually had some pretty gnarly burns from uh, dealing with the dogs at the HRD seminars, uh, from doing some of the muzzle work, and I was able to clear up something on my arm <laughs> in about seven days, and it didn't tear up my tattoo, which is kind of nice. So. So if you go over to vetcare.us, it's going to be 10WDR, and you'll get 10% off your first order. And we've heard some rumors that they were upgrading people on sizes when you use the discount code. So head over and put it in your uh, put it in the patrol car, and you'll be good to go. All right, we're back uh, with Eric Peldunas, uh, Marine Corps private contractor and general all-around badass dog trainer. <laughs> and we were talking about puppies. I don't actually Does not hate puppies. I, I she doesn't hate I don't hate puppies either. I just don't like them when they're mine. And I don't like them shitting in my house and everything else. There we have a bunch of puppies at the kennel and that's where they stay. So I like those puppies. So and we've been really successful at Torchlight raising our own puppies. In fact, Valor is one of our puppies and he was biting the shit out of people a couple weeks ago. <laughs> and we bred and raised him here with his litter mates. And you know, we've got several of them here and around that we've bred and raised and everything else. So it's super rewarding. I just don't like him in my house. <laughs> All right. So Ariel, you were talking about, you know, the whole process of bringing these dogs up and having access to all those dogs when you're with Subtle. Um, what I, I see this all the fucking time and it drives me insane. And I'm probably missing something, which I'm OK with because I'm not good at it, which I don't have to be. So a lot of times I see people like they're like, oh, these dogs are, you know, we have a litter of 10 and these dogs are going to be guaranteed to be these fucking rock star workers and like all this other shit. And before you answer, uh, we have a female that is here that's from Tour Beer Lines, um, Viper. Um, she's super social, but she her puppies are not the most social animals in the world. And they, she has produced um, 23 patrol dogs and several other single-purpose dogs out of six litters. Um, fantastic female with three males. And um, honestly, we're running about a 60-ish percent, well, like 55 to 60% right. So we got 10, 10 dogs in the litter, like six are working quality. Um, maybe for single purpose and dual purpose, but I see all the fucking time people post like this dog bred to this dog and you know, we're going to have fucking 50 puppies and 51 of those puppies are going to be fucking working machines. And I'm like, God damn, like, am I doing something wrong or like, what's the deal here? So like talk a little bit about, cause everyone, and for this li listening episode, number three of the podcast was subtle. Uh, I need to have him back on, but, um, it was a super good episode. We talked about the unicorn. We talked about trying to find Duco too. The motherfucker's been dead since, I don't know. He's been dead so long that 
we've had three presidents since then. He's not coming back. So everybody listening, Duke O2 is not coming back and you're not going to recreate him. And I'm sorry. So move on. But the issue that kind of comes, that continues to come up is everybody tries to recreate something or they try and predict some things. So subtle has access to, and has really, really good, um, KMPV lines. He ha- he had some hard fucking animals, some dogs that were fucking serial killers. So, you know, kind of talk about the selection and the washout, if there was any, and I know there was. Talk about the selection and the washout from his program and like how you guys kind of like waded through that and, um, you know, like what you learned from that process. One thing that stands out that he told me early on was with herder puppies well no i'm sorry with malinois and dutch shepherds herder was too general of a term um he looks for environmentals first because Mm, more likely than not they're going to have drive um but environmentals is where things will fall apart and he said with shepherds he usually looks for drives because um you know a lot of them don't have the drive that he needs and he doesn't do a ton with shepherds anyway. Um, so that always stood out. And that was a big focus. Um, you know, as soon as the puppies' eyes were open, we were changing up their environment, you know, having different recordings playing of, of different noises, um, handling them. Once they could walk, we, you know, we would take them out and just, you know, have them walking around the farm. Once they were a little bit more mobile, um, there was an abandoned school that we could take them in um, that had dark stairways and slippery floors um, and different surfaces. So we could see pretty early on if there was some puppies that just were not comfortable, um, you know, with noises or surfaces or enclosed spaces. Um, and that was always a a red flag. Um, you know, even if they improved over time, you could kind of see the ones that, uh, were, you know, never on par with the really stable puppies. Um, and I'd say the ones that we washed out, it was the majority of the time because of environmental stuff. You know, there were some that just didn't seem to have the drive. Uh, but you know, if it it was a lazy puppy that would bite and wasn't really affected by anything, uh, we were more likely to keep that one and give it a chance than one that, you know, would pop off the, the, the tug or the, the rag, if there was some, you know, some kind of weird noise, or if you touched them somewhere that they were uncomfortable, um, you know, because that kind of stuff, especially when you see it that young. And, you know, it's not something that you created. I mean, we're the ones that are raising these puppies. So, um, you know, nurture has a huge, huge effect, but we know what these puppies have seen from day one. So if they're having environmental issues or, you know, not able to deal with being handled while they're biting, then, you know, that's something that you have to say is largely genetic at that age. So I'd say, you know, that's the kind of stuff we were looking for. If we'd get a new breeding dog in um, and we saw, you know, I mean, 
you're never going to get 100% uh, rock stars from a litter. Uh, but, you know, if we had a litter and more puppies than not were showing us those traits, maybe, you know, we try once more with a different stud or a different bitch. But, um, you know, there was a couple of times where it was clear this dog is not throwing what we like. So Yeah, uh, Subtle, you know, Subtle talked about um, Ivo, the first Ivo, Ivo one. Yeah. And that, by all accounts, you know, the best fucking police dog ever bred. Super social, super clear-headed, would nuke fools, you know, tons of endurance, like everything you look for, but his puppies were fucking terrible. <laughs> I need to back up because I know people that own one of his puppies, and theirs yeah. isn't bad, but by and large, we had a dog that came through that was like that, and I mentioned him in the last episode. If you look at his BRN... I, when they sold him to us, I'm like, what's wrong with him? And I know why they sold him now. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it has nothing to do with the way that he works, because that dude can work himself into the ground. It's just that his puppies don't do that. So, mm-hmm. um, yeah, and not everything's a rock star. We bred him to a known female, and it turned out to not. Uh, we got a couple of good ones out of that, but um, a majority were female which doesn't help. And I say a majority, like all of them. And they were we like the best one we kept. And so actually I take that back. There was three good ones and uh, I know where all three are and they're good, but uh, the other ones are, we still have some of them and they're just not. And uh, I mean, there's nothing I can do about it. There's nothing environmentally wrong with them. Super active, almost no drive. And, uh, you know, or very like scatterbrained, I guess is the best way to say it. And they're just, you know, and it wasn't the female, it was him. So, and I, and after that, I know why they sold him. So fantastic police dog, not a good producer. So, yeah, I mean, uh, so when you're doing that kind of stuff, when you find the ones that you're going to keep and you guys are doing the imprinting process, you know, where do you start and what's the most important part? Um, are you talking specifically just scent imprinting or just entire uh, you can do. Every- I mean, you can do both. I mean, you can talk about okay. sending and printing, and yeah, I mean, you know, I mean, whatever you want to talk about. <laughs> okay. Um, so, typically, um, from a young age, there, I, I, I thought it was really neat. You know, the classical conditioning that was used of, you know, presenting some sort of loud noise, whether it's a, a jug of rocks or a lawnmower, and associating that with food. Um, and I just think that really creates that, you know, that crazy, uh, stimulated behavior of, you know, there's a loud noise. We're all going to come up and drive and go crazy because our food's coming. And, and that, that I think prepares them for later on when, um, you know, maybe something would be a little unsettling, but instead they've been conditioned to, um, come up and drive at the, um, presentation of some sort of uncomfortable stimulus so that was pretty you know the jug of rocks feeding the puppies um and i liked if we knew if we had a litter of puppies and we knew we were going to train them on a specific odor um i would start even before their eyes were open um rubbing the dam down with the odor and then once they got a little bit older uh, a little bit older presenting the odor first and then, then their food. So they you know, classically conditioned to um, associate the odor with um, food being presented to them. 
Um, so that was all pretty early on stuff. Um, once they're a little bit more mobile and, you know, had better uh, eyesight and depth perception, we would start doing, you know, real drive building. Um, and I'm sure he talked a lot about that where he, you know, um, tying them out, teasing them, working on um, getting nice calm grips, and then um, also tying them out, exposing them to more loud noises, gunfire, and then um, I would start, I, I was using uh, Pat Nolan's tube system at that time. Um, once the puppies were old enough to eat food out of our hands, um, teaching them operantly to go to the tube with odor and then um, rewarding, with, you know, marker or just direct, direct reward on the tube system. And then we moved to the wall using a marker system on, on the wall. Um, we had one wall with a marker system, then one wall that was direct reward. And, you know, I, it's not reinventing the wheel. It's the same concept of, you know, odors associated with, with your toy or with food. You know, just some variations on whether we marked it or um, direct rewarded it. And then also building hunt drives, uh, a lot of having them search for uh, PVC or copper or a ball uh, indoors and outdoors, you know, because it's not just about going to an obvious source of odor and indicating, it's also how well do you search for it. So um, that was really important. And a bulk of what we did with the puppies was searching, um, searching for food when they were babies and searching for toys and then progressively making it more difficult where instead of pursuing the toy, they were held back and had to search a little bit with a little bit less stimulation. Um, and then, you know, a lot of them were sold at, you know, kind of a older puppy, young adolescent age. Um, but the ones that we did keep, we, um, you know, we would kind of progress as appropriate depending on what their, their destiny was. Um, we didn't actually, I don't recall, I don't recall any dogs that we, you know, sold fully trained. Um, they were all pretty, pretty much young, right. experienced green dogs, you know, with reasonable amount of training, but still needed to be refined before they would be ready to actually go work. Outside of lack of drive, um, when people try and sell us dogs, uh, the two issues that I routinely wash dogs for are environmental problems. Mm -hmm. or uh, from lack of hunt. And I have seen a shit ton of dogs. Because, I mean, I, there is not a single dog that is certified in this country on any odor that is not certified. Well, that's probably not true. But we don't <laughs> we don't not certify a lot of them for lack of ability to identify target odor. We fail them for the inability to look for it. Mm -hmm. And that is something that um, I, at this point in my career or whatever you want to call it, I'm not convinced that it's not a component of being genetic and also being taught, which is why being raised correctly is so important on the dual purpose side. I see dogs all the time with shitty grips and with like they go into defense very easily like i mean super easy like shit that shouldn't like you touch them and they go into defense i'm like oh what the fuck which is why this is the another thing that i see all the time like people are like oh you need to square up on the dog and make eye contact i'm like if that makes a dog go into defense 
and I, what's going to happen when I hit them like they owe me money? Like then we really have a problem. And almost universally, I, 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 when I said this the other day and somebody was like, can you remember a time when it didn't happen? And I thought back and I couldn't do it. But any dog that does that, that gets defensive from mere eye contact. And I'm not talking about a contextual thing where they're tied out or whatever else, but you're just fucking standing there and the handler's holding them on a leash and you look at them and they get all defensive and come after you. Mm -hmm. I can't think of a dog that does that, that does not also exhibit some environmental problems. Um, They're typically funky around like, is something I don't know. Pick something loud, noises, slick floors, dark rooms, open back stairs, open floors, whatever it is, and which is why typically you'll see a dog that has that's as a puppy anyway that has all of those things. Like they're not scared of shit, right? They're not scared of water. They're not scared of open back stairs. And that's nothing, right? And finally, as a, as an adult. When you put them through, quote unquote, the spooky man test or whatever you're going to do, those dogs are typically like, man, whatever, you know, I mean, like pushing those dogs into defense is not the easiest thing in the world unless they have some kind of predisposed thing with not being like fucked with with their feet or something. But, you know, I mean, all of that stuff ties together. And, you know, that's something that I think a lot of people in our position understand but a lot of people that kind of jibber jaw or whatever, like, oh, you need, you know, the dog needs to show forward aggression or whatever else. I'm like, if they show forward aggression from fucking eye contact, I'm like, unless it's conditioned, like if it's an adult dog, I get it. But like if I square up on a 12 month old puppy and he comes after me, I'm like, well, yeah, he's probably going to be scared of loud noises. And that's not something I really want. And uh, people listening to this are going to disagree with me and I don't give a shit. But like, <laughs> like you can disagree with me all you want. I don't care. But I mean, ultimately, you know. It's a huge deal. And, you know, the last episode right before this, we talked about it. And it's a huge deal, like raising puppies to to sell to people like us, like Eric and I and, you know, like what Subtle and you did is a huge deal. I mean, coming from a place like that, we have to know that the dog has been vetted for environmental problems, obviously for health, you know, and, and I need to be able to say, you know, I can start this dog immediately on poppers or Dutch boxes or whatever protocol I'm going to start using and I'm not going to have some kind of fucking weird ass back, you know, back chain. I have to back chain everything because the dog, you know, doesn't know his ass from the hole in the ground, won't hunt, won't everything else. So uh, it's a huge problem. And, you know, I see a ton of times these litters advertise like this is bred to this. These two dogs are bred together and these are going to be working machines. And then eight months later, like this never happen. And, mm-hmm. you know, so it's interesting if you like, kind of scroll back three years and look at who was posting what and where and talking about dogs or breeding and everything else and the dogs that are actually working out. It's pretty interesting to see what's successful and what not, what's not. And so, I mean, I, I kind of take it as a, like as a grain, I take it as a kind of grain of salt. Like, you know, we kind of do what we do and we, we have the protocols. So, you know, and that's one thing that Sotal is very good at. And one thing that you have been very good at is, you know, detection and imprinting also. So, um, that's why part of the reason we had you on. So you started a pet business recently, correct? Yeah. And so talk about that a little bit. I mean, really it was a lot of, you know, kind of out of necessity. I'm not exactly sure what direction I want to go, um, whether I want to pursue more academia or get back into working dogs. Um, but I really enjoy teaching. Um, I, you know, I enjoy working with 
dogs of, of various temperaments with, you know, different needs. You know, I, I don't really enjoy the, um, you know, green dog training and sales just, and not because it's not fulfilling, but because it just kind of, to me, got monotonous. You know, I'm training the dogs for um, typically the same tasks and the same type of clients. In my past experience, you know, there was, it got monotonous, whereas I think with pet training, it's challenging me in a way that I need to be challenged. Um, you know, the dogs are always interesting and, and keep it fairly fresh and, you know, I have different sorts of temperaments to work with, but um, learning to work with the owners is where <laughs> I definitely, yeah. you know, that, that is not my, that's not my strength. And I feel like even though it's, um, you know, maybe something I would rather avoid because I'm not as confident and <laughs> that's skilled a skill in that. all in yeah. itself. <laughs> um, and I think for me, you know, if I'm going to pursue a career in working dogs, it's going to be more focused on teaching again. So the more I can improve my people skills and my ability to teach. And, you know, especially when you're teaching pet clients, they're not, their interest is not really in learning every facet of, of dog training and, and studying and perfecting. They, you know, they want their dog to behave. So they haven't done a ton of studying. They, they don't have a lot of experience with it. So I think for me, they're the most challenging human students. And I think that will inevitably benefit me the most um, if I, you know, continue working with working dogs and you know, sport dogs and, and continue to coach and, and teach people in, in that field. So, but I mean, it, you know, it's, it's not the sexy, exciting working dog stuff. It's, you know, I'm teaching pets how to behave and trying to help them have better lives because they're not driving their owners crazy. And I'm hoping I'm helping their owners have better lives because their dogs aren't driving them crazy. And some dogs I get in and I love them. Other ones I get in and I want to pound my head against the wall because they're frustrating. But, um, you know, it's, it's, it's working out well at the moment and I've been happy with, with where I've been with it so far. And we'll see, you know, I'm kind of up in the air as far as where my path is going to go, but there's always a need for, for pet dog training. So I don't think it's, yeah, I, get, I can go wrong by, <laughs> by continuing to incorporate this and improve my skills. I, um, when I started doing the pet dog stuff, I find when I'm talking to the clients, uh, I just, I'm not the same as I am with police handlers, but I'm pretty blunt and pretty straightforward. <laughs> shocker. And I don't, you know, yeah, I know. Shocker. <laughs> but when I, when I explain to them that the problem with their dog is the relationship between them and the dog, I don't sugarcoat it. I just said, you, you give this dog too much freedom and you give too much praise to this dog. And it's, um, not for debate. I, I I'm, I'm telling you that's what's wrong with you and your dog. So, um, that's just my suggestion to you is maybe not quite like they were Marines, but, um, mm -hmm. a little kind of just blunt. They kind of appreciate it. And if it hurts their feelings, yeah, I, oh, well, I think I try to soften the blow and I need, I definitely need work on being a little bit more direct with, 
with pet dog clients. I, I just, you know, I know I'm so used to dealing with military law enforcement, um, you know, they're working dog people. And then when I have to switch over to pet clients, sometimes I like, I don't want to be too harsh. I don't want to hurt your feelings, but mm-hmm. at the same time, this is what you need to hear. So, yeah. Some of those things though, keep in mind, you got to remind them that the things they're doing are destroying their dog. And mm-hmm. so I, I let them know and know in certain terms that if you continue on the path that you're going, your dog is, is not going to be around long. I mean, he's going mm-hmm. to bite someone or whatever the problem is. Uh, so I just, I kind of put it that way and I, it's, it's had good success, but then a lot of people hire me because of, because I did the police dogs and all that. So they kind of expect it. Mm-hmm. Just, just some, something for you to think about. Yeah. So. Yeah. Being as the is as the last episode for the uh, Ladies of Canine for 2019, uh, and it was a super successful series last year. Um, and I've asked this to all of the guests, or one of us has. Uh, you've been in the military, you've been on the law enforcement side and the training side. So, what advice do you have for any female listening to this, regardless of age? to if they want to work in law enforcement or first responder or military to uh kind of i guess get over the hump or get into the position where they're working a dog um i would say maintaining professionalism is uh very important and being prepared to work as hard if not harder um than the people around you i mean that's how i've always approached everything is if i want to excel if i want to get ahead if i want to be noticed by the right people uh, i want it to reflect in what i'm producing and, and the work i'm doing and if i work harder and i train more and learn as much as i can um that's going to give me an edge, I believe. Um, I've never tried to ride on someone else's coattails um, and, you know, play the maybe I'll get ahead because I know so-and-so game. I just feel like, you know, if you want to make a name for yourself, you need to make a name for yourself and not hope that by associating with someone else, you'll get pulled along for the ride. I think if I have any other... Huh. Something else Basic, in mind, but, basically, be good. <laughs> yeah, I, you know, and, yeah. and yeah. don't be afraid. You know, don't be afraid to, if you have your own ideas, find somewhere that you can express those ideas. Oh, and learn from as many people as possible. There's, there's so much ego in this business, and there's so <laughs> many people that Ugh. you know want you to only do what they tell you to do and, and not listen to anyone else. And they take it as an insult if you have ideas of your own. And, you know, it doesn't need to have any animosity associated with it, but the more people you can train with that have different ideas and different opinions, and if you can try and remain neutral and, and not, you know, choose sides, I mean, that's, that's more information. And, you know, the more things you have in your toolbox, the more likely you are to succeed and be able to get yourself in a position where, you know, I, a lot of the jobs I've, I've gotten were unique positions. And it's just because I, you know, I have diverse skills. I haven't, 
been doing one thing for 18 years, but I've done a whole bunch of different things. And now I feel like, you know, hey, I've, I've got some experience doing that. And, um, you know, the more you know, the, the further you go. Awesome. Where can we find you on social medias? Like if people want you to train their pet or there is some young female or male that has uh, that wants advice on handling in the military and law enforcement, where do they find you? Um, my business page is Your Dog Can Too um, on Facebook. And they can also, I have plenty of people that contact me on my personal Facebook page, which is find me under Ariel Peldunis and I don't mind if people want to message me and probably send me a friend request if you're going to send me messages because I have lots of messages. <laughs> um, yep. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, my business page, uh, you know, even if it's geared towards pet obedience, but if people are interested in talking about anything else related to, to dogs or science, I'm kind of a nerd, so they can message me there. Excellent. Eric, uh, where are you? VanSK9 on Instagram, VanSK9 Academy on Facebook, VanSK9.com is the website. How about you? Uh, Ted underscore Summers on the Instagrams, and then the uh, podcast has its own Instagram at working underscore dog underscore radio. Uh, and then uh, I'm at Torchlight K9, letter K number nine, also the podcast one. We give away a bunch of stuff, and we talk about Patreon on there. So Patreon is a deal where it's a subscription thing, and we uh, a lot of issues come up on here, and we get a lot of questions, and that's where we answer them. Or, like, for instance, I posted today how I teach a building search and how important it is to teach what I call micro skills or these little individual skill sets for the dogs and for the handlers the entire time rather than just – yelling through the door and sending the dog in to find some asshole with a sleeve on. Um, you know, we teach a lot of different things, and, you know, because of that, my guys are really, really good at building searches and really good at area searches and generally very good at officer neutrality. So, um, but I talk about how I do that in there, and, um, you know, you've done a tracking video uh, detection. You've done outs. You did the one with outs. Uh, we've, we've both done several in there, but that's where um, – we kind of like go through I did a huge deal too about all the cases uh, the federal cases that talk about odor versus uh, odor versus presence of stuff um, for canine handlers and whatnot but yeah I mean that's where we talk about a lot of that stuff but it's patreon.com if you look for working dog ready you'll find us um, it's the easiest way to get the extra content that Eric and I talk about here so um, outside of that uh, Ariel this has been awesome um, it's, it's a fantastic way to end up the women of canine series. So, you know, hopefully, um, there's some, you know, girl in middle school that her parents are letting you listen to this podcast and <laughs> she's going to be a canine handler and, <laughs> you know, in the military and law enforcement, she's going to be like, I listened to Ariel when I was, when I was like yeah. in middle school and it's going to be great. So, yeah. <laughs> well, thank you for having me on. And, yes. you know, I, I hope I can inspire some people to, maybe not follow the same path but follow something that allows them to have great experiences like I have excellent 
Well, we really appreciate your time and, uh, you know, it's been awesome. You know, you've been on our short list for quite a while and this is a perfect opportunity to do it and the stars aligned. So, you know, I, I appreciate the time. Well, thank you and you're welcome. Yes, absolutely. So everybody right. else. Have a good night, guys. Yep. We'll be back shortly. Been a good so, month. Excellent. Talk to everybody right. soon. Good night. Bye. I want to take a second to talk about equipment selection for patrol work. One of the most important aspects of teaching and maintaining patrol functions is your equipment. Proper equipment selection and fit makes all the difference in the world when it comes to creating and maintaining patrol and sport dogs. This episode is possible in part with support from Arno at ALM Suits. Because of the importance of this equipment, I use ALM Suits exclusively. I've owned one for about five years and use it almost daily at the kennel and have caught thousands of dogs and tens of thousands of bites. Arno was able to make a great fitting suit for my lanky ass and I couldn't be happier with it. Arno can take your measurements and make you a suit each and everything he does in his shop in Vegas. Between the top-notch materials and the handmade aspect, you're getting some of the best bite equipment in the world from ALM. The suits come in a full range of weights, from training weight to comp weight, which is what I use because I'm not a pussy and you shouldn't be either. He offers some Kevlar inserts to make the thinner suits a little safer and more comfortable, plus they keep your tattoo artist happy. He makes a full range of toys and reward tugs also. Be sure to hit him up at alnk9equipment.com that's the letter K, the number 9, or arno, A-R-N-O at almsuits.com Be sure to use the discount code WDRADIO for 10% off your first order. Tell him you heard it here. Now go get bit. Eric here. Like many trainers, Ted and I go through toys with the hard super chewer dogs we typically have in our kennel. So we need toys designed to withstand the grueling reality of high drive working dogs. That's where USA Canine Dog Toys excel. Their toys are made from an extremely durable rubber compound. They have reward toys as well as food dispenser toys, all made to last and are very affordable. All the toys are military themed. Go to the website, www.usa-canine.com Check out the grenade-shaped toys. They got the cherry bomb. They got a lot of other great things over there, military-themed toys. Here's the best part. A portion of all USA Canine proceeds go to support military working dogs and other veterans organizations. And that's freaking badass. www.usa-canine.com. Use the promo code K9PRO. Or check them out on Instagram at USA Canine Dog Toys. Everybody loves stuff that goes boom and we couldn't talk about stuff that goes boom without talking about tripwire operations group there's some of the best in the industry at stuff that makes loud noises and blows stuff up specifically for guys in this podcast for if you're handling an explosive dog or you're a trainer of an explosive dog they have one of the most well-rounded ready-to-go kits in the correct amounts and odors for any national standard or state standard certification head over to tripwireops.org to check it out They're headquartered in Gettysburg, Pennsylvania, and a group of first responders dedicated to serving first responders. They believe that the most highly trained and prepared first responders create a safer America. They prepare you guys and other first responders and military to protect our country by providing products, services, training, and relationships which together no one else provides. In fact, they've done several HME large hide courses recently, which is a really valuable thing for explosives handlers because you're not really able to get that much odor in one place at one time safely, and these guys do a fantastic job. Be sure to head over to tripwireops.org and check out the full list of classes they've got going on and have contact info there on the website. Again, tripwireops.org. You got your reasons, I got my wants. Still got that feeling, but I'm too old to die young now. Working Dog 
Radio is graciously granted permission to use this music by Brother Deeg. Be sure to check him out at brotherdeeg.blogspot.com. That's spelled brother, D-E-G-E, dot blogspot.com. Be sure to buy him a beer at Amazon, iTunes, or CD Baby, or anywhere you stream your music. Working Duck Radio was edited and co-produced by Alicia Brandt.